Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. If you live in the Bay and you know the drive from Oakland to Berkeley, you might have noticed this homeless encampment that sat along the border between the two cities. It was hard to miss, and it's been there for a hot minute. But after six years, the city of Berkeley officially removed what was known as the Here There Encampment. Now there are few remnants left of what started out as a protest to call attention to homelessness and Berkeley's housing crisis. In South Berkeley, there has been so much change over the years. I mean, there was a whole neighborhood where Ashby Bart used to be. And every time there's a big change like that, there's a mourning, I think. The clearing of here there was months in the making. And the last people who lived there have been put up in hotel rooms for now. Today, the radical origins of the Here There encampment in South Berkeley. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.
when something that's part of a neighborhood that's so visible just disappears, people want to know what happened to it, right? Supriya Yelimeli covers housing and homelessness for Berkeley side. And even when it closed that day, neighbors in the area were walking by and, and all they saw was a fence. And they were, you know, some of them were wondering, like, where did this person go? I used to talk to them. I used to talk to their dog. A lot of our structures in our neighborhoods are really permanent. And I think this one started to feel that way. But it's also part of, of a huge movement that has really influenced Berkeley and its policy on homelessness. So that's the second part of it. The Year There Encampment is located on the South Berkeley, North Oakland border. It's on Adeline Street near the intersection of Alcatraz and Berkeley. There's this big sculpture that says, Here, There. That was actually artwork that the city commissioned. And then on the strip of sidewalk that, that kind of wraps around it and leads into Berkeley, there would be several tents. Lately, it was kind of in two different sections. There was an encampment closer to the Oakland side that didn't really have as many ties with the main encampment. And then the main encampment, there was a, a big canvas tent where they would store food and supplies. Um, and this was part of the more organized, sober encampment that had a lot of co-living rules. And who lived there? At its peak, around 2017, 2018, there were around... 15 people, I would say. And these were folks who kind of had entered into an agreement to live with each other. Again, sober living, no drug use. They would share food and supplies. A lot of them, when it started, were seniors. Other folks were people who hadn't been able to find housing in other parts of the Bay and kind of ended up there. Let's talk about that part of it. I know this encampment has connections to previous sort of radical movements in the Bay Area. How did it get started? The group of people who came together to start this encampment, a lot of them were Occupy activists um, from 2011 and onward. There were people who were really involved with the movement in San Francisco, like Mike Zint. We have the right to exist. We have the right to shelter. One of the things people might remember him for is the protest for this encampment's first iteration outside the post office on Alston Way in downtown Berkeley. Our species is the only species that denies shelter to members of its own species. If we don't have these tents, health issues pop up, especially with me and Mike Lee, Clark Sullivan. They were committed to this idea of ending the criminalization of homelessness and also talking about wealth disparities in America. They organized under a, a lot of different banners. I mean, one of the most, I think, well-known ones is first they came for the homeless. But they just had this idea that, you know, if people aren't going to be able to find housing, if they're going to be homeless in the Bay Area, then they need to be allowed to have places to sleep if it's an encampment then it should be that and they shouldn't be pushed around and harassed. And, you know, ultimately it should lead to housing. I mean, this seems like a pretty organized and also very political homeless encampment. How different is this one or was this encampment from other ones around the Bay Area? This encampment was so visible 
And so in the middle of a really busy part of South Berkeley that residents in the surrounding neighborhoods would be interacting with these folks, they kind of started to know them. And it was at times kind of changing their perception about what an encampment can look like. You know, at its best, it was clean. It had folks who would just be spending time together outside, having meetings, hanging out, um, events every now and then, like a little block party type thing. So it was kind of just um, a facet of the neighborhood. No matter how many structures you have in place, if you're living outside, living right next to an extremely loud BART track, life isn't great exactly, but I think they really made it work. the neighborhood around it grew to support the encampment. Part of that was the city council member for South Berkeley, Ben Bartlett, who has been the council member since 2016 when it kind of took root there. People in the encampment at the time were saying, let's take it a step further than that. We, we do need resources if we're going to exist here. Um, they really pushed for having bathrooms, um, being able to have you know trash cans and just keep it clean. Um, at its peak, some of the folks who led the encampment were also really active in city politics. Mike Lee ran for mayor, and you know there were different venues that people knew these residents through. So um, yeah, it definitely became more than just encampment. When did all that start to change? 2020 was a turning point for a lot of homeless encampments in the Bay Area. In that kind of ecosystem, the here there encampment, it was going through stuff. And primarily, the core leaders who had founded the movement, they passed away. Mike Lee, Mike Zint, Clark Sullivan, they passed away in 2020. Um, Mike Lee and Mike Zint, they, they both died of COPD, and a few of the others had um, you know, really gotten on in age, too. What people say is that it was a real hit to the kind of organizational structure of this place. And even before they passed away, um, a lot of them had moved out, thankfully. You know, they were seniors, they had gotten housing. But without that kind of guidance, I think it became difficult for the camp to really maybe realize itself and keep going in the same way. And there was also, you know, because of this pandemic environment, a lot of movement in and out. There was a lot of transition. Folks were coming in. Other folks were moving into that satellite encampment who, you know, maybe didn't follow the same rules. So there was a set of internal problems, too. So it sounds like things were sort of breaking down internally, the loss of some of these OG leaders, I think, sounds like had a really huge impact on the structure of the encampment, which was a huge part of its success. I want to transition to the closure of the encampment. We haven't really talked about, I guess, the city's role in all of this. What was the encampment's relationship like with the city? I have to imagine it was on their radar. The city has always been well aware of the Here There encampment. After its decline, I think it became more of a typical encampment neighborhood relationship. Complaints had definitely increased. Also in 2021, a car drove into the encampment. 
And, and that was really scary and dangerous. So I think some of these issues were just piling up, really. Uh, me and this other guy, Sonny, uh-huh. were the last two to leave the camp. Mm-hmm. Julio Lee, um, he was one of the last residents to leave because he had a lot of stuff and he wanted to make sure his pets could come with him. He has a dog and two cats. She's too little to leave in the tent, mm-hmm. so I keep her in the car. The folks who lived at the encampment in its last weeks were describing you know, how bad the conditions were. They were rats, there was mold, the incessant trains passing by. I've got so much piled up in my bedding, I'm probably like this high off the ground. Mm-hmm. Just, but when I'm digging shit under, all the rats have chewed everything underneath. It's all shredded and just uh, filling or feathers or just shreds of whatever. Julio Lee told Supriya that in the last few weeks, it got harder and harder to keep the camp clean. He said he was one of the only people who was still picking up trash and caring for the site, and that some new residents weren't respecting the rules about substance use. When the city of Berkeley gave notice that it was going to clear the camp, Julio and the other five remaining residents agreed to leave. But moving out was stressful. He was still kind of scrambling to get his stuff together. And he told me that the last day he realized he hadn't gotten any of his clothes. And the next day, his friend took him to a thrift store so he could get some things. So, you know, regardless of how these things are planned, encampment closures are still disruptive and and can be chaotic. And it's just hard to get your things together when... He had been living there for uh, since summer 2020, so you can imagine things accumulate, right? Um, the city was also using, you know, construction equipment to clear out all the materials that had been left there. Was there, uh, I'm curious, much resistance to the closure? I personally thought there would be more, considering the history and the longevity of this encampment. It's not that people didn't push back. Uh, I think they had realized maybe that it had come time, especially because the residents who lived there, they they took the offers to take hotel vouchers. Julio was saying that he he considered pushing back, but he realized that there wasn't really much of an option for him. I wanted to at first, but then I realized that if I really tried, they could arrest or 5150. He didn't want to lose his stuff and... You know, the place where he used to park before wasn't an option anymore. So when he kind of like put the numbers together, he was like, let me just take this hotel voucher. So I think because there was an alternate temporary housing option offered, it wasn't as much resistance as we've seen in some other encampment closures. What kind of help are they getting from the city? So Julio and the other residents who took the hotel voucher, they get to stay there for 60 days. And in that time, the city says it'll get them into the intake process if they're not already in it for the county housing system um, and set them up with affordable housing. I mean, I do want to ask you this, sort of zooming out. We, we talked about how the goal of this encampment was to really call attention to homelessness and also the city's housing crisis. Did it achieve that, you think? I think the pandemic really ramped up the way the city 
the state and the federal government collaborate on getting people housing. I think that was something that wasn't happening in the same way before. Definitely not in 2011 and 2012 when this movement first took hold. Um, I think that set people up with a lot of temporary and then permanent housing. We had Project Room Key. We had Project Home Key. So I think there's a lot of action happening on it. I think we have to look at stuff beyond a range of six years to really see what changed. Um, you know, it could feel like there's work happening and things are improving now, but at the same time, wealth disparities are increasing and living in the Bay Area is only getting more expensive. So I would say they accomplished their goal of getting attention on the problem, getting solutions, um, a lot of which were driven by the folks who developed the encampment. But I think it's too early to say whether, you know, those goals were realized. I mean, I want to ask you about that. Like, what does it mean now? I guess that it's that it's gone. I think it's hard with the the course of history, honestly, in Berkeley, because I've heard from so many people about things that were there that are no longer there, whether it's a building, whether it's a home restaurant. <laughs> in South Berkeley, there has been so much change over the years. I mean, there was a whole neighborhood where Ashby Bart used to be and every time there's a big change like that, there's a mourning, I think. Um, I think it's important that people know the history of these places. And if something like this disappears, there should def definitely be an explanation as to what was there before and what it meant. I, I hope it's remembered and I hope people are able to kind of connect all these struggles, you know, Occupy and, and what came after. Um, I think it's important to know why these things happened. Supriya, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. That was Supriya Yalimeli, who covers housing and homelessness for Berkeley Side. This 30-minute conversation with Supriya was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Our senior editor is Alan Montecilio. He scored this episode and added all the tape. Jen Tian is our director of podcasts. Cesar Saldana is our engagement producer. And Holly Kernan is our chief content officer. If you're new to the Bay, what's up? Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we bring you big and small local news stories from all corners of the Bay. We're all about storytelling the news, breaking it up and breaking it down, preparing you for that next dinner party where you can sound all smart and rooted and where you live, etc., etc. Subscribe so you never miss a beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Peace. Hi. 
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.